0: Let's turn to John chapter 13. If you need a Bible, just raise a hand and one of the deacons or one of the guys will get it to you. John chapter 13. John chapter 13 will be down by around verse 17 there. John chapter 13. Alright. John chapter 13. Alright. And uh if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. If you're ready, say amen. amen. All right. Some of you are ready and not there, but that's okay. All right. Uh you know. Do you know that the Bible has three simple steps to make you a happy disciple? If you want to be happy, say amen. Amen. If you want to be miserable, okay, you can stay miserable. But uh, if you want to be happy, the Bible has three simple things you can do to be a happy disciple. But I also want to ask you this question. Do you also know that many of you will stay miserable because you will never take these three simple steps. You just won't do what the Bible says to do to be a happy disciple. I guess you're happy being miserable. I don't know. But uh, it's right here in John chapter 13. Or at least it starts in John chapter 13. And it's important that it's in chapter 13 because we know the number 13, as I've said probably way too many times, 13 is the number of rebellion doing something differently than the norm. And we know that in John chapter 13, we have Jesus Christ's last words to his disciples in the upper room. And right there in verse number 17, Jesus Christ is telling his men how to be a happy disciple. 17, he says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And that expression, happy are ye, comes up three times in your Bible to be the three things that you can do to be a happy disciple. And it's interesting that the key is right there in John chapter 13, the number of rebellion, the number of being different. Because if you want to be a happy disciple, you got to be different from the world if you want to be happy you got to do something differently than the status quo. you got to be a good kind of rebel, taking a good kind of detour, going a good kind of opposite direction of the norm. So my question to you is this. Will you deviate from the norm so you could become a happy disciple? Will you exercise some good rebellion and follow God's three simple steps to be a happy disciple. That's the message today. How to be a happy disciple. The answers are pretty easy. It's just whether or not you'll do them once you know them. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you. And we just ask you, Lord, to give us some understanding now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. First step, number one. Here it comes. Right there in chapter 13. If you want to be a happy disciple, can I get one more Amen. Again, if you want to be miserable, you just muddle through this message and stay miserable. But if you want to be a happy disciple, number one, you must put others first. You must put others first. Right there in John chapter 13, pick it up at verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. See, Jesus Christ just gave his disciples an object lesson. He just gave his disciples an example of putting others first. And he says, if you want to be happy, you got to do the things that I just showed you. Humble yourself to bless somebody else. Now, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this, and don't answer this one out loud. Do you follow the Savior who put others first? Crickets, Because right? that's, he said, follow me. He said, do these things. We claim to follow Jesus Christ. He said, are you following the great God that got that low and put other people first? You see, verse 14, he says, I'm your Lord and Master. If your Lord and Master stooped down, what's your excuse for not humbling yourself? Man, you ain't that high, and I ain't as high as he is but he got down for somebody else. Verse number 16, he says, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Do you think you're greater than the Lord Jesus Christ? You would never answer that out loud. But why then are you putting yourself first? Why are you putting yourself ahead of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Why are you putting yourself ahead of those other people? You say, oh no, Jesus Christ is the highest. Holy, holy, holy. Yeah, but when you put yourself first, you know what you're saying implicitly? Yeah, I'm greater than Jesus Christ. I'm higher than Jesus Christ. I'm I'm above my Lord. Because your Lord, who's highest of all, wasn't afraid to put himself that low. You know what the world, the world has a God they worship. It's a triune God. The world worships a triune God. You know what the triune God is named that they worship? The triune God the world worships is named me, myself, and I. That's who they worship. And can I tell you something? The world is miserable. They worship themselves and they're miserable. I don't care how big the house is. I don't care how many garages they get. I know when the lights go off and the party ends, they stare up at a ceiling with nothing to lean on. I make jokes sometime at work just to kind of ruffle people up because <laughs> we do these lockdown drills and they're all sitting there, yeah, if a lockdown happens, if there's a shoot, this, this week, if there's a shooter in the building, I said, yeah, man, I, I know I'll follow the drill. I just hope the shooter's is a good shot. I just want to get it right here. I want a kill shot. I don't want to suffer, you know, and they all go, oh, <laughs> you know, because you know what? If this whole thing went to hell, you know what? We got something. I got something real. I got something that gives me joy. I got something that gives me peace. You know what they got? They got their money. They got their bank accounts. They got all that stuff that they're afraid is going to perish. And when the bottom drops out, you're going to watch them just going crazy. They're already starting to go crazy. You know what? They're miserable. They're popping pills. They're trying to find solace at the bottom of a bottle. Because the world, and you know what they worship? Me, 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 me. I, 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 right? They're always tuning up for that chorus, right? Me, 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 me. They're all about themselves. And they're miserable. How about being about somebody else? Jesus Christ says there in verse 17, if you want to be a happy disciple, you got to walk different from the world. you got to be different from those folks. you got to be going the direction that Jesus Christ was telling you to go. And the writings of Paul to the church are full of admonitions and exhortations to put your brothers first. Let me just show you a few. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter, I'm just going to show you a few. I'm just saying if you want to be happy. I said some of you won't do this because you're way too into yourself. But if you want to be happy, there's a way to do it. The Bible has a way to do it. Ready? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Romans twelve, ten. The Bible says, Be kindly affection." This is the great book of doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Right. And it talks about how to live also. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Now, I know you love your brother. Amen. I don't think I get anybody's, I hate the brother. No, I know you love your brother. But my question is, do you prefer your brother? You see, I say, I like chocolate and I like vanilla. Which one do you want? Well, I prefer chocolate. I like chocolate over vanilla. I choose chocolate, right? You're preferring it. You might like both, but the one you choose, the one you put first, is the one you're really preferring. You may love your brethren here. You may like them. You may be kind to them. You may be gracious to them. But do you prefer them? Do you choose them? Do you put them ahead of yourself? Yikes. Yikes. Cricket. <laughs> Where's that turkey? Are we in a turkey farm on Thanksgiving Day, as Pastor Millie used to say? Because it's real quiet up in this place right now. It's real quiet. I think I'm stepping on some toes or something like that. You know what Paul said one time? Paul said, You know what? If meat make my brother to offend, I'll eat no meat while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Whoa! He had liberty to do whatever he wanted, eat whatever he wanted. He said, you know, what? have eaten that stuff that was offered to idols and was being sold in the markets, if that's going to cause a brother to stumble, I'm going vegan. That's what he's saying. I won't eat that meat ever again. I won't do that ever again. That's what Paul's saying. He says, my liberty ain't worth making another brother stumble. You know what that is? That's preferring one over another. That's putting the brother first. Hey man, if I dress this way, is this going to cause a brother to stumble? If I talk this way, is this going to cause a brother to stumble? If I go there and do these things, is that, yeah, you got liberty. I know you got your verses about your liberty. I know them better than you do. But do you put your brother first? Is it going to make a brother stumble? If somebody's going to fall and trip and get wounded in their walk, the Bible says you're not really preferring him over yourself and you're not really going to be happy because the Bible says to be happy you got to put others first go to first Corinthians chapter 10 look at that first Corinthians chapter 10 look at verse 24 just another one on this one I'll move on quickly because I could tell this is a rough point first Corinthians 10 verse 24 here's another one I just happened to find these I threw a rock and I hit a bunch of these in Paul's writings to the church first Corinthians 10 24 he says Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Woo! Now I'm really getting close to the cotton now, right? I'm really cutting close now because we all want to be prosperous. We all want to be blessed. We all want to have our own great testimonies that we can bring. But I wonder do you seek blessings for your brothers? Do you seek blessings for your sister? You know who Paul wrote this to? He wrote this to the Corinthians. Paul aimed this verse at a carnal, cosmopolitan, Corinthian church. This church is who Pastor Mel used to say folks around here in New York are probably most like. We're probably most like the Corinthian church. Carnal, cosmopolitan, sophisticated folks, right right near the city. That's who the Corinthians were. That's who we probably are. That's the ghost of Pastor Mel just stepping all over your toes now, right? But it's true. The old man was true. That's exactly where we are. We're all about us. We're all about making our own money, getting our own blessings, taking care of our own stuff, making sure our own stuff is perfect. The Bible says you're supposed to seek the wealth and the welfare of your brothers and sisters. Oh man, I wonder how much we do that. And then I wonder why we're not happy all the time. I just, I'm just wondering, you know, because if you spend all your time on me time, you are going to have a miserable time. If all your time is me time, you're going to be a miserable soul. You're going to be carnal. You're going to be selfish. You think selfish people are happy? Oh, they might be loaded. They might have stuff. They might be blessed. They might be comfortable. But they're not happy. They're like Ebenezer Scrooge. Got all the money in the world. Got all the stuff in the world. And they see somebody else blessed. Bah humbug. Bah humbug. Oh, Cratchit, get out of here. Bah, humbug. That's who you get when you get like that. You just become like Ebenezer Scrooge. You know what Jesus taught Paul? He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive if you want to be happy. How about Galatians chapter 6? How about this one? I'll just give you one more on this. Galatians chapter 6. Hey, I'm just trying to show you how to be a happy disciple. Don't tell me my messages are always Debbie Downers and stuff. I'm trying to lift you up now. I'm trying to show you how to be happy. I'm trying to tell you, show you how to turn that frown upside down. Right? The Bible's got the answer, but you won't do it because you're selfish and I'm selfish. But the Bible says if you just do what God said to do, you walk around happy. You walk around with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says bear Ye, one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, when you're in pain and you're hurting, and it's natural. You know what you think about you think about yourself. You think about that part that hurts. You think about that heart that hurts. You think about those things you're going through. But can I tell you something, folks? When all you think about are your burdens, you drive yourself crazy. You give nervous tension. You get neurotic. You get crazy. You get just down the dump. You dig a pit for yourself and you jump in and you just think, if I just keep digging this pit, I'll somehow get out of it. The opposite is true. You just keep digging a pit of your own sorrows and your own woes and you just go deeper and deeper and deeper and you're more gloomy and more depressed and more miserable. Listen, man. You may, wh- you may be whining about a bum knee and a son that's hurting in Sloan Kettering. That was me a few weeks ago. My knees, I'm limping around. My son's there wincing in pain. And you know, that thought goes through your head, Lord. What's going on, Lord? You know what happens when the Lord does that to you? Like I said, he may put a key air next to you. He may put a 12-year-old boy right as your neighbor. He says, oh, your knee hurts? He had his leg amputated. Oh, your boy's in pain from a thoracotomy? He's had seven of them. Oh, your son's doing well and he's in long-term maintenance and all that stuff is out of his body. His mom is on her last leg. His mom is in her last resort. She's running out of options. He's had seven thoracotomies because he keeps getting tumors in his lungs because they can't get rid of all the cancer out of his body. And Sloan was their last resort. You see, it's all about that perspective. That was for me. The Lord did that for me. Just kind of stuck that right in my face to say, what are you whining about? What are you complaining about? Stop getting so obsessed about your problems, and maybe think about how you could help or bless somebody else who's got some problems, maybe a lot bigger than yours. Listen, anybody burdened for a lost loved one? Anybody here? Amen? I am. You know, that could overwhelm you. Can I give you a little practical hint? If you're burdened for a lost loved one, you know what you need to do? Get burdened for my lost loved ones. Because God will do something. God will send somebody, and God will take care of your lost loved ones that you can't reach, if you get burdened for somebody else that you can reach. I've seen it so many times. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass my buddy Eli. Right, Eli, um, among many people I know, Eli will witness to anybody, anywhere, anytime, anyplace. And that's a good thing. That's not a, that's not a joke. That's, that's a commendation. And, uh, you know, you're, somebody's in the hospital, I'll go. Somebody's sick, let's go witness to them. Somebody, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. You know, I've seen my brother back there, by the grace of God, Be willing to go and witness to your lost loved ones and your friends and your neighbors. You know a few years ago what happened? Eli's been praying for his dad for many, many years. His dad over there in Israel, his dad Sam. Many, many, And he can't get there. He's got a wife, he's got a family over here. He can't just run across the pond to get over to Israel. But you know what he did do while he was here? He said, you know what, the people that are in my path, I'm going to go try to be a witness and a blessing to them. And do you know what God did a few years ago? God laid it on the heart of our pastor Mike Veach to get on a plane and go across the world to go speak to and witness to Eli's dad. And in time, you know what happened? Eli's dad got saved. And Sam is up there in heaven now. And Eli wasn't the one to lead him to Christ. It was somebody else. But what he did do while he was here is he tried to reach the people that he could reach. He got burdened for other people's burdens and God took care of his burden. That's instructive. Right. If you would pray for somebody else, God may take care of the problem that you can't seem to find the solution for. So if you're stuck crying in your own beer, find somebody else's tears to dry. It might do you some good. John chapter 15, verse 12. You know what Jesus Christ said in that upper room? He said, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. You know what that is, folks? That is the law of Christ. See, what's the law of Christ? It's right there. It's the law, the commandment that Jesus Christ gave them in the upper room. And until you're loving each other the way Jesus Christ loved you, you're not following that law. How did he love you? He laid down his life for you. He went all the way for you. He stooped down there and put you first. He said, I want you to love each other like that. You say, if you would do that, then you'd be happy. If you would do that, then you'd you'd be fulfilled. When you fulfill the law of Christ, you know what happens. You just feel the smile of God on your life. When you love people that way, you don't need any reward. You don't need any thank you. You don't need any shout-out during a message. You know what you're just blessed? You feel a smile of God in your life because for once in your rotten, selfish life, you're trying to do what Jesus Christ did and stand the way Jesus Christ stood and kneel down like Jesus Christ knelt, and that spirit of Christ is just flowing right through you, flowing right through you. You know what? That brings you joy. That brings you happiness. That just puts a smile on your face when you know the Lord is smiling on you. You know what we teach our Sunday school children, right? You want to have joy? You got to put Jesus first, J, others second, O, and yourself last, Y. That's how you spell joy. Jesus, others, yourself. I think that's more than just a Sunday school lesson. I think we all need a good dose of that. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That's how you have joy, but you won't do it. You won't do it. You won't do it because you're too afraid of losing something, too afraid of being inconvenienced. But if you want to be happy, I'm telling you how to be happy, happy, happy. You know, Christmas Eve 1910, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, was very ill, and his people were getting together on Christmas Eve, 1910. And they were having this convention to kind of like rally the troops. And um, they, um, they were waiting for William Booth to come. And he couldn't come because he was so sick, so close to death. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to send a telegram. So he was sent this telegram to just inspire his people And he was like, what can I say to them? What can I send to them to inspire them to go on for God and serve God and love God? And the one word telegram that they opened up on Christmas Eve 1910 was one word. Others. 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 He said, if I could sum up the whole ministry and the whole walk of Christ and some that would just charge you out there to go do something for God. Others. 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 Alexander Duff was a missionary to India in the 19th century. Listen to this verse, this, this, this saying. He said, I will lay my bones by the Ganges that India might know there is one who cares. Ganges is a river in India, right? pretty famous one. He said, I will lay my bones upon the Ganges that these other people might know there's a God who cares. Because they'll never know that God cares Unless they see how much you care. Amen. What's that saying? They won't know how much, they won't know about a God who cares until they see how much you care about them. Amen. Until they see you know that God and can demonstrate those things and actually put them first. That's why Jesus said, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So I challenge you today number one, will you put others first? Or will you keep worshiping me, myself, and I? That's number one, step number one. Step number two is in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter chapter three. If you want to be happy, number one, you must put others first. You'll never be happy without doing that. 1 Peter three. Number two, if you want to be happy and to be a happy disciple, you've got to suffer for righteousness' sake. 1 Peter chapter three, verse eight. 1 Peter three, eight. The Bible says, finally... Be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous." And his ears are open unto their prayers. Amen. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. The second step to being a happy disciple is to suffer for doing right. Right. Now, Bob Jones Sr. was a great preacher, and he said this. He said, do right, do right, do right, till the stars fall, do right. You know what I think he meant? Let me interpret. Let me give the sense. I think he meant that if you're saved, you're supposed to do right. You're supposed to do right. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, you don't do right to get saved. You do right because you are saved, right? Ephesians chapter 2. Familiar verse here, Ephesians chapter 2. Simple. I told you they were simple steps. Put others first. Do right. Okay? Look at, uh, what would I tell you? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. For by grace are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, we got that, amen, not of works lest any man should boast. So you are saved by grace apart from works. You are saved as a gift apart from works. There's nothing you do to work your way to heaven. There's no work you could do to to forgive your sins and undo the guilt that hangs over your soul. Christ's work had to save you. Christ said it is finished. There's no works to add. There's no works to take away. We got that? Say amen. amen. All right, I'm in the right auditorium, but, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we, the saved, should walk in them. You were saved by grace without works, that you might live unto, do, unto good works. God saved you by his works, so you could go do your own good works. You're supposed to do right, do right, do right till the stars fall, do right. And until you do what you were saved to do, you will never be happy. Keep trying. You can keep trying and try to plug those other pieces into the puzzle. But if they don't fit, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be unfulfilled. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry at me when I step on your toes. Because the answer is right there. Do right. Do right. God made you to do right. He said, I made you to walk upright. If you don't do right, something's going to bother you if you're saved. You can keep turning that alarm clock off, but it's going to nag at you. And the Holy Spirit's going to haunt you because you were made to do good works. You were created to walk in good works. He told Titus, hey, keep reminding those people, Titus, that they were supposed to live by good works and maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Good works, beloved, good works doesn't always mean tracting. Can we be being gracious, bringing somebody a meal, giving somebody a phone call, praying for somebody, being a kind neighbor to somebody in church? Hey, there's lots of good works that you can do, but do right, do right, do right till the stars fall. Do right if you want to be happy. I got an Irish Terrier at home. That's my dog. That's my good friend, Copper, right? Don't mess with my dog, all right? I'll shoot you, all right? But anyway, I got my dog down. You know, my dog's an Irish Terrier, rare breed. People look at an Irish what? An Irish this? An Irish? No, no, an Irish terrier. It's an Irish terrier. i never heard of that. I know. I'm telling you. I'm explaining it to you. Irish terrier. And he's an active boy, right? He's almost four. He's an active boy. Irish terriers were made to be active. They're farm dogs. They want to dig. They want to play. They need mental stimulation. You got to do something with them. If my copper... If he doesn't play around with me one day, if he doesn't get to run outside, if he doesn't do something that day, you know what he's going to do? He gets miserable. He comes over barking at me at the table. He comes over rubbing into me at the table. You know why? He's like, Dad, I got to move. I want to run around. Get that stupid piece of plastic. I'll chase it up and down 50 times. I was made to be active. Hey folks, you know why you get miserable sometimes? You are made to do good works. You are made to serve God. You are made to bring glory to God. If you don't do what you are made to do, you're going to be turning that you're going to be frowning. You're going to be upset, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be going up to other people like like my dog you're going to be barking at people. And I'm like, what, what happened? Why are you leaving church? What's the matter with you? (laughs) It's because you're not serving God. It's because you're not doing what God made you to do. That's why you're getting upset with everybody around you. You were made to do good works. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me tell you about old man Moses. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 24. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. For a season, oh, I'm not going to lie, sin brings you pleasure, but it's only for a season. It's only for a little while. I mean, the relationship's going to sour. The buzz is going to wear off the toys are going to break, the money is going to fail, and then you're going to be left in the pig pen feeding on husks and wondering, what am I doing here? What am I doing as a son of God feeding on the husks around me till my strength is almost gone? Can I just throw this in there? If that's anybody here, I don't think it is, but if that ever becomes you, that is not suffering for righteousness' sake. That is suffering because of your own sin. That is suffering because you're stupid, right? That's a Bible word, I think, stupid, right? That's because you're stupid. You did something to yourself. You put something in yourself. You got in a relationship with somebody. You did something that was stupid and sinful, and now you're reaping the scars and the problems. That is not suffering for righteousness' sake. That is suffering for your own stupidity and my own stupidity, amen? Now, verse 25, he says right there that Moses chose to suffer for doing right rather than just go with the ungodly flow. He could have gone with the ungodly flow. He was, he was like a, a princess's son, right? The Pharaoh's daughter, right? He could have been like, just all he had to do was just keep his mouth shut, go to Egyptian class, you know, go hang out to Egyptian things, you know, keep talking that Egyptian, keep going to eat with his Egyptian friends. He said, no, 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 I, I want to go. I'm choosing To do right. I'm choosing to be with my people. I'm choosing to follow God. And it's not just Moses. Hey, you can stay quiet. Don't read your Bible. Don't go to church. Don't identify as a Christian. Don't let anybody know you're saved. Just, you know, go do the Egyptian things. Go say the worldly things. Go hang out with your worldly friends. You could do the same thing as Moses and not face any affliction. But the Bible says, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm just telling you, if you choose to follow God, if you choose to, you know, follow Jesus Christ, if you choose to let your light so shine before men, somewhere, somehow, you're going to feel some heat. You'd be happy if you just went through the furnace with the Son of God. You wouldn't feel the flames, but just too afraid. You won't listen. I told you, you can be happy today, disciple, but you just won't do it. You say, oh, I can avoid it. I can get around it. No, you can't. Let me give you a little science lesson. The earth, if you're looking at it from the North Pole, if you're looking down, the earth rotates west to east. That's how the earth rotates, counterclockwise. You know which way God always moves? East to west. All the time. You walked in that tabernacle east to west. Jesus Christ is coming back east to west. You even watch the sun. It comes up in the east. It goes down in the west. Picture of the Son of God. It's always east to west. You know which way the gospel moved in the book of Acts? East to west. You know which way revivals went in church history? East to west. God is always going east to west, and the world is always going west to east. You know what that means? You can't follow God without going against the world. There is no neutral stance. If you just stand still, you're just turning with the world. You're just going against God if you just stand still. you got to make a choice to go against that current to follow God, and that's when you feel the friction. Because when you go against the grain, i got my buddy Andrew back there, he's a woodworker, you start sanding something against the grain, guess what? There's going to be friction, and you're going to feel some heat. But you know how you get through it? Verse 26. He said, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect. Unto the recompense of the reward. You say, how did Moses face all that? How did Moses go against the grain like that? How did Moses turn against the whole world of Egypt like that? He reckoned that whatever sufferings he had in this life were not worthy to be compared with the reward that God had for those people that chose to follow him. And you could be happy if you had the same perspective, but you don't trust God. And I don't trust God. We don't think that's real. We don't think the reward is real. We don't think the riches are real. We think this is all we get and all we got. Oh, we put some Jesus sprinkles on our worldly Sunday. But if you really thought that the main course was what God had waiting for you, you would do the things God said to do. You know, man, they can laugh at me. They can mock me. Who cares? I got me a truckload of treasure waiting for me in heaven. That's what Moses said. I'm not going to go with these Egyptians. I'm, gonna, I'm a Hebrew. I'm going to go with the Hebrews because God, that, that Jehovah's got a promised land waiting for us. Amen. Go to Acts chapter 5. You see, we don't believe God. We don't trust God enough to do what God said to do to be happy. Let me show you some guys that did believe God. Acts chapter 5. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you how to be happy. How to be a happy disciple. I get so many people. Oh, what that. I just want to be happy. I got it right here. It's right here in the Bible in mostly one-syllable words. Happy are ye. Here we go. Ready? Acts chapter 5, verse 40. They're preaching, right? The apostles are doing good works. And here's the, here's the reward they got from the council. Acts 5, 40. And when they had, uh, right in the middle of the verse, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them, they granted that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Are these guys sadists? What is this? They just got a couple of left hooks and right crosses and a few lashes across the back, and they're like, oh man, how many lashes did you get? Did they hit you? They hit me. They, they threatened you. Did they threaten me? Oh, this is great. This is amazing. This is fantastic. We're suffering. That does not resonate with Americans today. That doesn't resonate with me. That's like, oh man, I want to sit in a recliner and put my feet up and read my Bible with a cup of whatever and just relax. These guys get it on the chin, literally, and they go back and keep preaching. How could these disciples be happy after suffering such things? Can I give you two things I speculate? Number one, when you follow Jesus Christ and suffer, you know why you rejoice? You rejoice because you realize that your faith is real. You're like, wait a second. I'm just standing here saying words. If this God didn't exist, why are they so afraid of him? Right? I'm just standing up here telling them how to help themselves, how to be forgiven. Why do they want to kill me? right? You know that Jesus said this would happen. The Bible said this was happening and it's happening. Whoa, this thing is real. You know, the deaths of those apostles are some of the greatest testimonies. The fact that the Bible is true. You're telling me that they got hung upside down, put through stakes, burned alive, had their skin flayed for what they knew was a lie. No, sir. No, (laughs) ma'am. You ain't bringing hot pliers to my skin and ripping the flesh off my arms if I think what I'm saying is just a fairy tale. You ain't crucifying me upside down or getting four horses and whipping them in the butt and having me torn apart by limb by limb if I think what I'm doing is worshiping the flying spaghetti monster. Oh no, I'm sorry. They knew somebody. They saw somebody. They're a testimony that your Bible and your gospel is the truth because they died for what they knew is the truth. Horrible, horrible deaths for what they knew is the truth. And when they saw it coming, they said, oh, man, it's real. It's real. It's real. Amen. Listen, man, in last summer in the God Bless America, a preacher in Seattle, a street preacher, was attacked and arrested for simply reading his Bible out loud in a public park. He said, oh, he read the... No, he didn't read rough stuff. He read... Pauline epistles, gospel things, things that you and I might read to each other on a Sunday morning. He read it outside. They were tearing the pages out of his Bible, kicking him, cursing him, screaming about his fairy God that he believed in. He got arrested. The cops arrested him and not the folks that were beating up the Bible. In God bless America, right? In uh, December, you might have heard this. This made the news a little bit if you watch the right channels, in December, a woman in the UK was arrested for silently praying outside within, you know, a certain proximity to an abortion clinic. She was silently praying, and the cops said, are you praying? She said, maybe. And they arrested her. Thought crimes now. In a pretty while, you say, how could criminals be going free while God's people are persecuted worldwide? Isn't that crazy? I mean, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, didn't quench smoking flax and didn't break a bruised reed. He was the kindest, gentlest, meekest, most wonderful man the world had ever seen. And that bloodthirsty crowd said, Crucify him! Crucify him! You know what? That's a testimony that the world is evil and God's word is true. And when you feel just a little bit of that, you know what? That should be a reminder. That this thing is real, and the world is evil, and they're against God. That gives you reason to be happy. Like, I have not followed cunningly devised fables. I'm not worshiping the flying spaghetti monster. Because I'm sure nobody else has had it. But I'm sure you've had those moments where you sit around going, is this real? Am I really saved? Is heaven really coming for me? I'm sure it's happened to you because it's happened to me. Those moments, you know what? A little persecution. Little people mocking you for your faith, guess what? It'll wake you up. You know what else will happen when you suffer for righteousness' sake? You remember you're going to be rewarded. Because, man, if it's real and Jesus is coming, then he's got a reward to those people that would follow him. And I'm, whoa. That's why those disciples got so excited. That's why they got so rejoicing. Rejoicing. Oh, man, what, I got to live a few more years, three more years maybe, three and a half more years, all I got to do? Oh, man, and Jesus is going to come and bring in a kingdom? Folks, it's just a little while longer. It ain't another hundred years. It ain't another 50 years, I don't think. It ain't probably, I don't want to start saying, but it's close, man. It's close. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Just a few more days to labor and wait. And then, man, you're going to enter a kingdom that never will be taken away, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. You get that perspective, man. Woo! Then verses like, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him, start to be like, wow. And in Acts chapter 5 right there, you know why I think those disciples rejoiced? Because every lash, every punch, every mean word, every threaten, every warning they got, every threat they received, you know what I think they heard? I think they heard the clink of their rewards in their treasure chest in heaven. Every persecuted, clink, 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 and there was more laid up for them and more laid up for them and more laid up for them. But many of you will never experience that joy. You'll never know that happiness because you refuse to feel any heat for Jesus Christ. You refuse to suffer anything for Jesus Christ. Look, I'm not looking to die today either, okay? The parades will be a nice time, right? (laughs) But listen, a little bit of shame, a little bit of reproach is worth its weight in gold in heaven. When you go through the flames for Jesus Christ, you know what you're going to do? You're going to clap your hands. You're going to clap your hands like a man by the name of Thomas Hawks did. You're going to meet Thomas Hawks in heaven. Want to hear the story of Thomas Hawks? He came from a respectable family of Essex. He was carefully reared and sent to serve as a page at the court of King Edward VI. And as he grew in years, he was noted for his comeliness of person and his gentle manners. Following the fashion of the court, when he became a man, he entered the service of the Lord of Oxford, where he remained for some time being liked by all the household. But when Edward died, Edward tried to turn England to Protestantism. But when Edward died, religion was changed. Shortly after Edward died, Bloody Mary took the throne. She was a Catholic zealot who was killing people left and right to support Mother Church. Religion was changed in England, and those who held to the Reformed faith began to be in danger. Hawkes was one of these. So rather than change his faith, he decided to leave his place and go back to his own home didn't want any trouble, just want to go live out the country. He had married well at Oxford, and soon after coming home, a son was born to him. As he did not want to have the child baptized by a Romish priest, amen, brother, he put off the baptism for three weeks. His enemies, hearing of this had him brought before the magistrate, charged with being unsound in religion. After a hearing, he was sent up to London and put into the hands of Bonner, Bishop of London. When Hawkes was brought before the bishop, he was asked why he kept the child unbaptized so long. To this, the prisoner replied that he believed he was doing better for the child than by taking it to a priest. Amen, brother. After a good deal of argument, the bishop asked him if he would have his child baptized according to the form set forth in the service book of Edward the Sixth. He was tricking him. He said, oh, you want to follow Edward the VI's religion? You want to be one of those Protestants like those guys? To this... Hawks replied that it was the very thing he desired from his soul. This question, however, was a mere device to find out Hawks's real faith. So the bishop sent him prisoner to the gatehouse in Westminster, commanding the keeper to confine him closely and not permit him any person whatsoever to speak with him. During Hawks's imprisonment, various plans were laid to make him recant, such as arguments, reading, taking him to hear sermons and the like, but all proved useless. Amen, brother. His constant answer to all who spoke to him on the subject being, I am no changeling. At last, the bishop summoned him with several others to appear publicly in the council consistatory court at St. Paul's, where the charges against him were read. They then urged him to recant that they might, be obl- might not be obliged to pass the awful sentence of death upon him. To this, he firmly replied that he would rather suffer death than renounce his faith in the gospel. Amen, brother. The bishop then read the sentence of condemnation against him and five others at the same time, after which he was sent back to prison. While in prison, waiting till he should be taken to the stake, Hawks was allowed to see his friends, many of whom called on him. Some of them asked him if it would be possible for him to give them some token to show that a man could suffer the fire without despairing. Hawkes promised, by the help of God, to show them that the most terrible torments could be endured in the glorious cause of Christ and his gospel, the comforts of which were able to lift the believing soul above all the injuries men could inflict. Accordingly, it was agreed between them that if the pains of burning were bearable, the martyr should lift his hands up toward heaven before he died as a signal to his friends. Soon after, Thomas Hawkes was led to the place of execution. After being fastened to the stake with a chain, he addressed the crowd, and especially Lord Rich, pointing out to him the sin and dreadful consequences of shedding innocent blood. Amen, brother. After Hawks had made a prayer, the flames were kindled around him and soon blazed with such fierceness that his speech was taken away by their violence. His frame shrunk, and the people thought him dead, when suddenly the martyr mindful of the promise he had made to his friends, held up his hands high above his head and as if in an ecstasy of joy, clapped them thrice together. (laughs) And then his awestruck multitude stood speechless at this unlooked-for signal from one whom they thought already dead. But his friends, remembering the promise that he had made them in prison, were thus convinced of the wonderful power of faith to support believers through every trial. True story. You say, what is that? That's God. How do you explain that? God. How do you get joy in that situation? God. 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 If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And finally, go to 1 Peter 4. I'm hurrying now. We started a little late here, so just give me a few more minutes. 1 Peter 4. Last thing, and this is the briefest one. Maybe this will charge you up before you head out to a parade today. But if you really want to be a happy disciple, you got to bear some shame. You want to be a happy disciple? Put others first. You wanna be a happy disciple? Suffer for doing what that guy? That guy just didn't want to baptize his baby. A Romish in the Roman church. He wasn't making trouble. He wasn't preaching outside the cathedral. He just wanted to be left alone in his in his countryside place with his wife and his child. And they came after him. They hunted him. That's happening to you. People want to marry who they want to marry? Marry you want to marry. Why you gotta bother with me? They're coming after you. Because they won't stop knocking on that door till you're like them. They banged on Lot's door. Even though, Just guys, just leave me alone. Do not so wickedly. No, we want to know them. We want to spoil what you got because you're a reproach to them. Suffer for doing right. And lastly, if you really want to be a happy disciple, you've got to bear some shame. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Peter was in that upper room with Jesus Christ, and it's Peter who writes this exhortation to bear the shame of Jesus Christ. He says, you want to be happy? bear reproach. You know what that is? Criticism, embarrassment, censure, dishonor, scorn, disgrace. You know what Christians do and make themselves miserable? We drive ourselves crazy trying to avoid the reproach. Trying to mitigate their approach, trying to like, you know, just contain the approach that God said is part of the natural Christian life. We get fretting thinking about what will my friends think, what will my job think? What will my neighbors think? What do my family think? What do this one think? What do my spouse think? What do my boyfriend think? What do my girlfriend think? What do this one think? You know what we do? We get ourselves all worked up and all nervous. But how can you ever be happy if you hide who you really are? Right? They say people that are hiding who they really are suffer from very high rates of depression. I'm told that. That means if you're a Christian hiding who you really are, you're going to be depressed, you're going to be down, you're going to be frustrated, your soul's going to be vexed, your insides are going to be like a knot. Just let your light so shine. Let the chips just fall where they may. Bear the reproach. It's liberating. I'm not great at it. I don't like being made fun of either. I don't like stuff getting thrown at me either. I don't like being ostracized either. But that's the natural Christian life. Go to John chapter 18. I just got two stops left. John chapter 18. You know, why did Peter try to resist that? You know Peter resisted that in the garden. John chapter 18, verse 10. They're there to arrest Jesus Christ. You know the story. In John 18.10, the Bible says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Why did Peter try to take off a guy's head? You think he was aiming for his ear? No. The guy ducked. Whoa! And he wound up taking off his ear. Peter was going right for the guy's head, man. Peter wasn't no punk. Peter wasn't no wuss. You think Peter denied Jesus Christ because he was afraid? The guy that pulled out a sword and tried to whack somebody's head off? Think about it. Go to verse 25. And Simon Peter, that was a little later, right? It comes to denial. And Simon Peter stood and warned himself. They said there unto him, art thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest being his kinsman, whose Peter cut off, saying, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the, croc, the cock crew. I mean, Peter actually cursed, the other gospels say, to show that he wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. Why did Peter deny the Lord? He said he was willing to die with him. He actually drew a sword and was ready to fight for him. Why did he deny him? Why did he run away? Why did he just ah, go fishing? Here's my thought. I don't think Peter wanted to be reproached. I don't think Peter wanted to be shamed like that. I don't think Peter wanted to be humiliated for following Jesus Christ. I don't think he liked having to put up his sword. He wanted to fight. I don't think he wanted to back down. He wanted to step up. I don't think he wanted to take the lowest room. I think he wanted to be the head honcho. I think he wanted to show that wicked world what he was all about and what his God was all about and that they're going to kneel before him, not him. Power and let them put him in handcuffs and crucify him and shame him. Didn't he say that to Jesus? When Jesus said he was going to be crucified, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not happen unto thee. He wanted the power. He wanted the kingdom. He wanted the respect. Not to see his savior hauled off like a common criminal. And he was discouraged. He wasn't happy. Too many Christians are just like Peter today. We don't want to be second class citizens. We want our rights. We want our position. We want our influence. We want our access. We want what we got coming to us. We'd rather be identified by political party than the lowly Nazarene. We'll call ourselves conservative to dull the shame of being called Christian. We're more concerned with being canceled than proclaiming Jesus Christ and having people look at us sideways. And it took Peter some time, like it takes all of us time. It took Peter 30 years before he wrote that letter. But 30 years later, Peter learned the high calling of being reproached for the name of Christ, of bearing the shame, of letting them hit him and mock him and spit upon him and jeer and haul him off like that. He said, you know what? This makes me happy. I'm bearing the shame of my Savior. He learned the high calling of being reproached for the name of Christ. He came to learn that the kingdom is coming when he's going to reign with Jesus Christ. The kingdom is coming when he gets all God has promised to him. But it's not down here. It's not yet. It's not now. He got that perspective. And Peter started finding happiness in being reproached the way his great Savior was reproached. I get to walk in the path of my Savior. I get to get mocked the way my Savior got mocked. I get to get jeered at the way my Savior got jeered at. That means I get the reward that my Savior got after his ministry. You know, a few years ago, my son CJ, he got to play basketball. They got to do this game with his travel team on the floor of the Barclays Center right? Pretty cool. And he played in the Nets stadium, the Barclays Center there. It was pretty awesome, you know. Got to see him shoot with a big guy shoot. He's shooting with Steph Curry shot. He's dropping layups in with Durant drop layups. He's, you know, cutting and he's running where, you know, uh, uh, Giannis was cutting and running. He's doing, you know, what Kevin Garnett, maybe dunked. He's putting a layup. He couldn't dunk yet. You know, he can't dunk. All right, but anything, You know, that's exciting that you got to play where the big names played. Put your feet where the big names put their feet. And when you suffer and bear shame for Jesus Christ, how amazing you get to walk the same path of your Savior. They get to call you names the way they called him names. They get to reject you the way they rejected him. And you get the reward like he got a reward. You know what that gives you? Joy. Happiness. Acts 26, last verse. See that perspective, folks? We all got to get that perspective. Because when you start thinking that way, here's what happens you can think yourself happy. If you think that way, you could think yourself happy and get your mind turned around and start realizing you know what? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. Right? You start thinking that way. Acts 26, here is arguably the greatest apostle, that ever, the greatest preacher that ever lived, maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived. He wouldn't give himself that title, but I can. And there he is, man. He's got all the visions and the revelations, and God has shown him everything, and he's hauled out there in shackles in front of some pagan leaders like a spectacle. He's probably sitting there, oh, wait till the Christian Law Association gets you, man. Wait till they find out about you. I'm going to have you in court. You know what he says right there in Acts 26.1? Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Oh, really? I'm the one that God committed all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? I'm the one that got the revelation from Jesus Christ's mouth himself? And you're telling me, you pagan, lost, hell-bound dingbat, you're telling me I'm allowed to talk? Okay. <laughs> then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. But Paul said, must have been like, oh, I'm right here. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, <laughs> because I shall answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things whereof I'm accused of the de- Jews. When you think that way, you can think yourself happy even when you've got a bum steer, even when you're in shackles, even if you might be in bonds suffering for what you shouldn't suffer for. You could say, I'm happy. I get a chance to be a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ. Hey, can you answer out loud for me? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. Do you want to be a happy disciple of Jesus Christ? We need more happy disciples. Nobody likes to hang around in Eeyore. (laughs) They're never going to get saved if you're miserable. If you're more miserable than they are at work, what have you got that they don't already have? It's just three easy steps from God's Word. Do unto others do right, don't be ashamed. And you could be happy. Many of you will stay miserable because you won't trust when Jesus Christ told you to do to be happy. You know why you won't trust it? Because it's so opposite of what we think. God's ways fly in the face of everything you think makes you happy. Who wants to wash someone else's feet when you could take care of yourself? Who wants to make waves in the world when it's easy to just sit still and not rock the boat? Who wants to experience shame when the world promises you and showers popularity upon you? But Jesus said, If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. They're not natural things. They're not normal things. They're supernatural things he's asking you to do. And if you'll do some supernatural things and rebel against the norm, you could be a happy disciple. So, will you be a good rebel? And do things differently to become the happy disciple God wants you to be. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Father.